0: Welcome to the latest edition of the CE Pro Podcast. I'm executive editor Arlen Schweiger. We recently debuted our Industries Got Talent segment, and this week the beat goes on as we welcome Tim Begonis of D-Tools. When he's not talking to integrators about their system design proposals, you could probably find Tim laying down a groove on the drums, just like many of you saw last year when he helped the CE Pro Band rock the CD Expo. Tim Bagonis, Chief Marketing Officer and VP of Sales at D Tools. Thanks for joining us on the CE Pro Podcast. Thanks for having me. So, Tim, you're well known within the industry, obviously for uh, for your work at D Tools, but also for your musical instruments. You've been in the CE Pro band. Uh, you know, when, we just want to go into that background a bit. So, you know, when did when did you discover music, and how long did it take for you to really get into the drums too?
1: Well, I, you know, I think. Um, like many of my age and, and, and really you know musicians around the world, I mean I got into it as a, from the Beatles. Uh, I, was a, I was a little kid and my sisters had Beatle records and um, at the time they had a Saturday morning cartoon show and I watched them every Saturday morning. I listened to all my sisters' records. So you know I, I, the Beatles were, were everything and I pestered my parents for uh, an electric guitar and um and then the monkeys too because the monkeys were on tv so you know that was accessible music it was everywhere and and i was really i was fortunate i think um that i came up at an age when you know the beatles were still a a, a real working group the monkeys were um you know popular and that tv show was on at the time and i and i lived in the bay area in the in the 60s right so san francisco and Ashbury and so music was just kind of big in, in the culture. Um, and I was lucky enough, well, I, I pestered them. Uh, on my eighth birthday, they got me an acoustic guitar and I, I started taking lessons uh, from a neighbor, my next door neighbor, she was a college student. And um, yeah, I took guitar lessons first. And then I was pretty impatient. I mean, I learned some chords, I learned how to play you know guitar, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't enough. And I always was, Uh, fascinated by the drums, and my grandfather um, is actually, was actually a musician, played stand-up bass and drums, and played in big bands in the 40s, and um, was really into Sinatra, and music was just always around our house, and he's the one that really got me into, into the drums, and I remember I got my first drum set, I think, when I was 10 years old, one of those, uh, you know, it was Blue Sparkle, and I think it was from like the Montgomery Ward's Christmas catalog, just this, you know, basically wood. This is these tubs, but but hey, it was a real um, a real drum set.
2: Uh, Tim, last year when we spoke before the CE Pro Band Appearance at CDR Expo 2019, we talked about your passion Um, for the drums, kind of focusing on the groove and rhythm side as opposed to maybe the technical approach that some other drummers may take. Uh, How did you arrive at this approach to your drumming style? Well, you
1: know, that's a personal preference, but you really need both. I mean, you you need to be able to have the technical chops or at least the technical background and be able to, to be able to play to get to the groove of the song. Um, I was fortunate that um, when I was young, my parents supported me and, and provided me with private lessons in addition to being like in the school band. Um, and my drum teacher um, in the 70s, his name was um, Dave DeMarsh. And he was a contemporary of David Garibaldi um, from Tower Power. He was, he was, he was friends with him um, and they were from the Bay Area as well. And so, you know, this is like fifth, sixth, seventh grade. He was making me listen uh, listen to these tracks and write out some of the you know the rhythms and the, the rudiments and then I have to learn how to play this stuff and th- this is fifth sixth seventh grade and um, you know those are really hard technical <laughs> technical uh, chops to learn um, so you have to kind of have the basics uh, my my preference was really um, I liked more flamboyant I liked Keith Moon was my guy. Um, Mitch Mitchell from Jimi Hendrix Experience, and of course, John Bonham, and that style of drumming fit um, kind of just my interests and my personality, but you, you needed to put the work in yeah. to, to be able to even play, you know, any, any, any of those type of, um, maybe you wouldn't call it quite so, so look, there's Neil Kirk, who is the epitome of, you know, the the best in, you know, in, in terms of rock, right? Technical drummers. There's tons of jazz drummers and everything. But if we're talking specifically, you know, rock and prog rock and and you know, Alan White and those types of guys, there's those you know, Bill Bruford from King Crimson, those are the guys that were just like amazing, you know, total technical chops. Then you have your more, you know, to me, they were more groove. You know, Bonham had just the best bass drum, Mitch Mitchell and Keith Moon had just these incredibly fluid fills, and that's what appealed to me. Um, As I got older, I really started to really appreciate really what Charlie Watson and Ringo really brought to the table, which seems really, really easy when you listen compared to some of these really more technically proficient drummers. But what they do is hold everything together and it's actually really um, the foundation for everything else. And the older I got, the less busy my drumming style became. And I really came to appreciate much more of the the, the bedrock and the foundation. So I look at that as the groove. And I always really gravitated to that more than, you know, really trying to learn, you know, a specific, you know, Neil Peart kind of, you know, uh, Hey, you could, you know, it's really impossible to try and approximate those. You can get them down and feel like, I got it, but you know, it's never, it's never really right there.
0: So but. Tim, uh, playing off of that and considering some of those influences that you just mentioned, um, can you tell us a little bit about the band that you play in and then what kind of style you guys play and how those influences uh, impact
1: that? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm in a band, we're called Jam Daddy and You know, we play, you know, basically classic rock. Um, Pretty much though, anything from the 60s, it's not so much a tribute band for a specific band. I like to think of it as like, we, we, we like to do a tribute to that era or to the genre. Like when we play songs, we try and really make them sound more true to the recording as opposed to just freestyle jamming, right? And things from the 60s all the way up to now, and we'll play the occasional, you know, songs from this century, we're not quite that old. Um, And we've been playing together for 15 years and everybody's a really um, accomplished musician. We all have our day jobs. It's not, we're we're trying to aspire to make it or be anything. We all play because we love to play. We all played seriously when we were younger. Um, And I think the really good thing that, uh, the thing I love about playing with this particular bunch of guys is that, hey, we're really good friends. We're all kind of at the same place in our lives. We got families, we've got careers. Um, But we gig, you know, well, up until this, we were gigging, you know, once or twice a month, and we've got a huge song list. So we play together for so long, we'll put a set list together and we'll do maybe one or two rehearsals. We'll try and learn a couple of new songs in there. And um, it's, you know, it's just a real nice, um, it's just a nice band. And, you know, we're we're pretty good for what we do. You know, we're, you know, we, we play and people like it.
2: Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Tim, can you tell me what's the best part of playing a live gig? It, it, um, regardless if whether it's your, your, your the band you play in in San Francisco or if it's even something like the CE Pro Band, what, what, what's the funnest part of playing in a live atmosphere?
1: Uh, you know, I think it's just, honestly, it's really the playing. Um, you know, when you get to unless you're in a very successful band, it's a lot of schlepping, right? You know, it's a labor of love. And someone asks you to come over and jam, okay, if you're the drummer, you've always got all the gear. Oh, and I also had the PA. So it's a lot of schlepping, right? So, but it's worth it, um, just to get and play with other people. And I like, you know, when you play with a certain group of people, and you know each other pretty well, then the music can kind of go different places and you get to know each other. And, and it, it's kind of, it, it's, there's just nothing like that feeling. And when you play in front of other people and then they, they, they react and they like what you're doing, it just makes it, it all the more fun. And I, I just remember, you know, even my earliest days of playing in you know, my first bands in high school you'd go play at a party and no one was really any really good. And there was no, you know, we play a few songs, but, you know, people were like, wow, that's awesome. And, and you just meet so many more people. It's just fun. And, and, and I would say that, you know, the experience of playing with the CE Pro band was um, was really awesome because it was the kind of thing where you knew people, you knew people could play, but you, if you haven't played together, you don't know how it's really going to go. And this thing, you know, Bob, you were awesome. We, you know, we worked together and you asked me like, hey, we're going to do this thing. You want to you wanna go play with these guys? I'm not sure. And we picked some songs. And we had to do everything via phone calls and emails. And nobody played with each other at all until we had our one rehearsal, right, before CDA. And you never know how it's gonna go, but it was great because we sat down, there were no egos and halfway through the first song that we started playing, I was like, ooh, this is gonna be pretty fun. This can be really good. And it turned out to be just an awesome experience um, to play with so many you know, talented people. And I think people really, really, really dug it. So that, that was a great, that was a great experience.
0: That was pretty much fun for everyone to watch at uh, at CD Expo. Definitely,
1: <laughs> I felt sorry for the, the 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 people in the booths, like right adjacent to where we were playing. Um, but that was really fun. You know what was really fun is so I go back to the schlepping, right? Like every time you gig somewhere, you know, for me, you know, when I was younger, I had a couple of friends, I had this big old pearl drum kit, and and, and I'd have three people helping me schlep all my stuff in. It was awesome. Now it's just me. Then the CE Pro gig was like, I walked up and they were setting up and I introduced myself and they're like, oh, Tim, how would you like the drum set up? Oh, I like this. And what kind of symbols would you like? Here's the vault of symbols. Pick whatever symbols you like. Really? Okay, great. I just picked all these up. And do you have enough vocals in the monitor, Tim? Oh man, that was just, they were phenomenal. And that was such a fun experience. But I was like, oh, wow, I can get used to this. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> These symbols would be great.
0: So that Tim, was... speaking of drums and, and drum sit, uh, kits and drum sets and all that, uh, I think you may, you may have recently purchased a, a set of Vistalite drums from the 70s. And if so, you know, those are some pretty famous drums. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the differences between kind of a vintage set of drums and, versus a modern
1: drum kit? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's really it's a matter of taste. And and yeah, a few years ago, um, I was fortunate enough to find like this really, really nice uh, Ludwig Vista Light kit. And for if you don't know what those Vista Lights were, they were the, the clear kind of plastic see through drums and John Bonham had probably the most famous one. So if you're a kid playing rock roll in the 70s, and you and you saw Song Remains the Same, that amber Vista Light kit was just iconic. Right. And back then, when those things were a fortune, there's no way you could afford it. I was playing the Montgomery Wards kit, right? When I was, you know, so I always thought, you know, man, when I grow up, I'm going to, I'm, man, I'm going to have one of those. And a few years back, um, met this guy and uh, we started talking. And he said, yeah, he had this, you know, blue Vista Light kit and he wasn't really gigging with it anymore and and typically those things are going by like twelve fifteen hundred dollars and and i'm really particular i want a really clean one and everything and so we started talking this thing was beautiful and i got it for like 600 bucks which was was a huge was just a steal and he's like look i know you're gonna love it and take care of it and this other guy gave me a great deal on something so he just kind of paid it forward um so it's kind of like a beautiful kit and i gig with it and it sounds amazing um but to be honest, you know the technology today and and the way that drums are manufactured and there 's just great drum manufacturers you know across the board with d w and and everybody putting kits together um, if you're a kid starting out today and you're getting one of these entry level or mid you know mid level kit, you know the technology is so much better you 're going to sound amazing, but there's something about you know for me personally, just playing that kit, it sounds awesome. And I have a, another vintage Ludwig that I, that I really love playing, but I also have a couple of you know, modern kits. Um, I have a beautiful Gretsch that I love, and that's a, you know, that's a 2000s kit and it sounds amazing. So it, 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 a lot of it comes down to personal preference, but honestly, it really comes down to tuning and the types of heads. So even though I had that Montgomery Wards kit in the 70s, I used to tweak and and I could make it sound amazing. And I remember I had this friend in high school that had a Yamaha kit and I was so jealous because it was such a nice kit. And I'm playing this, you know, entry level and his drums sounded horrible, right? They just sounded just like boxes. And I said, well, let me, let me tweak it a little bit. So I tuned them all up and then he was like, oh my God, this thing sounds amazing. Well, he just really didn't know how to tune them. So you can, you know, there's tricks that you can use to, To make things sound good. But that's one thing I can always say is I was always proud of my drum sound, the way that I could get my drums to sound. It Just, you know, personal preference, but they always sounded good. So, Uh,
2: Thank you, Tim. That's funny. It reminds me of talking to the home theater guys about setting up and calibrating theaters. It's all in tuning the theater, and it's really kind of regardless of, of the price points of the gear inside the home theater. A lot of About that has to do with how they calibrate the system. A well-calibrated system will outperform a system that isn't calibrated well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, we're all gearheads at some level, right? Whether it's, you know, in in musical instruments. And then I got my degree in television and I worked in television for the first few years of my career. So it always seemed to be about some kind of gear. And I love, you know, I love gear, whether it's guitars or drums or music instruments or stereos or turntables or TVs. And, you know, I think everybody, that's the cool thing about this industry is that everybody at some level is, is a gearhead right? And um, that's what makes it so fun, um, to be honest. And we have so many friends in this industry that it's so easy to make, it's easy to make friends, lifelong friends in this industry. And I, I've been fortunate enough to be with d now almost 15 years. And um, when I first got to DTools, I was new to this industry. I was just a software guy. I was in multimedia. And I came to this industry not knowing anybody. And which was a switch because I had built 15 years in the multimedia and internet industries knowing everybody and you get comfortable. Um, And I will say that this industry was so um, welcoming and the people um, are so passionate about what they do. And that's why I ultimately think, you know, that given our situation right now, um, we're gonna all be really busy when this starts to turn around because of a couple of factors. One is we're all doing this. We're all on Zoom. We're all working from home at some level if we're fortunate enough to be working. Um, So, you know, I'm very grateful and thankful to still be able to, to work when so many aren't and suffering. But I think what it's exposing is people are home, They're going to see the need for better networks. They're going to see the need for, man, man, I really do want to upgrade my systems. And they're going to be traveling less for a while. So at least on the residential side, I think, you know, people are going to be investing in their home. On the corporate side, I think travel is going to be slower to come back. So it's going to be conference rooms and video conferencing and huddle rooms and all the things that our guys do. Right and and I think that um, you know I'm always kind of an optimistic person anyway. That's how I kind of look at things. But I think as we come back, our our industry is going to be much more visible, and I think our guys are going to be really really busy. So
0: yeah, I think we're hearing a lot of that same uh, that same optimism. Really, it's just uh, this whole crisis is is really. Uh, reflecting the need for a lot of that stuff definitely
2: yeah uh, yes tim before before I, uh, I um ask you my request could could you provide any uh website where people can go to find you does your band have a website does it have a facebook page i is it on twitter or instagram or anything like that also uh, if you know, could we'll provide the wealthy, we have website,
1: a, we, have a, we have a goofy little website just jamdaddyband.com Um, And it's got some music samples on there. There's not a lot going on there. We play locally. It's not a, um, you know, we play at some wineries and corporate things and golf clubs and and things like that. So uh, it's fun. And there's some recorded uh, samples of music and things on there. Right now, obviously, there's no gigs anywhere. So, um, but yeah, it's fun.
2: And the D-Tools website? Ah, that's an
1: important one. It's www.d-tools.com. All right. Well, Tim Begonis, thanks
0: again for joining us on the CE Pro podcast. And we'll uh, be- look forward to talking to you again in the future.
1: Great. Thanks for having me, guys. This was awesome. And I uh, hope everyone stays safe. And um, hopefully, we get back to work uh, very soon so we can play again. <laughs>